day to Joyenne. I'm Dr. Pauline Hoffman. I'm your podcast hostess. I'm joined by my producer, Mr. Bryce Murphy. Hello, everybody. Bryce also wrote and recorded the podcast music. This podcast is for the data nerd and the data nervous. All are welcome. Welcome back to our listeners. This week's theme is cryptocurrency. And to help explain what the hell that is, we have a very special guest, Dr. Zachary Rodriguez. You want to say hello, Zach? Hello, everyone. Welcome. Zach is the co-founder of Embrace It Africa, a 501c3 working to develop and implement sustainable projects that address issues of poverty, access to education, and public health through the Chiotera district in southern Uganda. And I took that from the website, but I've known Zach since he was an undergrad student here with me. And he he was an undergrad about the time I started at Bonaventure. And, you know, we, I've been involved in Embrace It Africa with them. And now Zach has a PhD and we're so, I'm so excited to call you Dr. Rodriguez. To be fair though, Zach, I don't think I ever would have guessed and I would never put money on the fact that your PhD would be in economics. I don't think anybody would have. <laughs> <laughs> and you are now, now you, you went to West Virginia University, which is where you got your PhD. And now you're doing a postdoc at Syracuse, right? Yes, at the Institute for an Entrepreneurial Society in the Department of Entrepreneurship. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing, a little bit more about what you're doing, or no, do you not? Oh, sure. What is yeah, the, uh, the, the That would be my oh, I didn't know so they went any higher than that. Bryce chimes, in too, Bryce chimes in, too, with questions, Zach, so he wants to know what's a postdoc. Do you get, like, <laughs> like a double PhD, basically? Yeah, so post, yeah, postdocs are interesting because they um, they exist for two kinds of students. They exist for people who are going very fast and people who are going very slow. So if you are uh, somebody who can't get a job, um, usually you'll try and get a job and then maybe it won't work out. And so there'll be these positions called postdocs where you'll maybe teach two or three classes and then have some sort of research requirement. Okay. and you know produce a number of articles or whatever and so those can be for people who uh, maybe are doing their phd very fast and so they are producing a lot of research so they just want a little bit more time before going on the formal job market sure um, whereas other people maybe they're struggling to just even get a job and so they just need something to sort of um you know give them something in between going on and finding a regular job so yeah for me it was the latter like i was able to finish the phd sort of in a quick way and so that, that's what brought me to Syracuse. Cool. Now, do you want to tell us a little bit? Now, I mentioned that I've known you for ages um, and that we work on Embrace at Africa. I, you know, yank some information from the site, but your passion there is the microfinance, but also the health clinic. Do you want to talk a little bit about those things? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we, um, I mean, our whole initial interest in going to Uganda you know, back in 2008, I guess, or 2009, was about microfinance and about trying to empower people through small microfinance loans um, to, you know, boost their businesses and change their situations in the community. Um, but then we got there and realized that everything is way more complicated than that. You know, there is health problems, there are education problems. Um, and so giving somebody a boost in their business is a, a helpful part but not the whole part of sort of community development, which is what I think Embrace It Africa has been trying to do now for the last 13 years. And so at part in, in, in doing that, we have the bank and now we have this health clinic that we opened right during the beginning of COVID. So just at the beginning of February, 2020. 
and uh yeah we're that's still um uh it's still growing um in the community but also now at the point where we're seeing about 75 to 80 patients a month and really starting to make a bigger difference just from sort of um for outpatient sort of services in the community and I love the work that that you guys have been able to do there. And yeah, since 2008, I mean, I think that was the first trip. That is, it's crazy to think how long ago that was and how much has been accomplished. And I mean, I still try and go, and I know you've set up an internship program so students can, at different universities, can go to um, the community of Bethlehem to work in the clinic. And I know that I've taken students and you've been involved in the students going over. So, you know, I'm putting a proposal together now for some of our own health profession students to get there. So Bryce, I think we'll have to take Data Doyen on the road perhaps and do a couple of podcasts in Uganda. That would be fun. Wow, that would be, uh, yeah. that'd be really cool. On site, that'd be awesome. On, exactly, 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 that'd yeah. be cool. Okay. I was, no, no, think, I was thinking, you know, at the with our time in Uganda, you know, we, when we first got there, we bought that one piece of land and planted those pine trees. Yeah. And now they're like, you know, easily 12 feet tall or something. So you kind of have a measure of how long we've been there. And it's kind of That's crazy great. the bigger the trees get, the longer that we've been there. It's sort of this, yeah, it's sort of uh, interesting. I'm, so, I'm excited to see them now. I mean, it's been, wow. yeah, they'll, they'll be almost at full pine growth. pine trees could grow in Uganda. Yeah, yeah. They're a little bit different from the pine trees we have here, though, right? They're not, exa- yeah, yeah. A bit okay. different and, uh, yeah, all sorts of other, I mean, still useful for lumber, which is what they're primarily for here. But, um, yeah, just different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know it's been a little bit too long. I mean, COVID really put a monkey wrench in so many plans and things, but okay, let's talk about cryptocurrency. So uh, normally on this podcast, I'm the data nerd and Bryce is the data nervous, but last week we were talking about cryptocurrency and he actually knew more. And so I'm actually- I I know a little bit less than nothing about it. And I know (laughs) know less than that. So, (laughs) So Bryce is more the data nerd this week than I am. And thank you for coming on to explain this. And what's so funny to our listeners, and just so you know, Zach, we have about 3 million listeners. (laughs) (laughs) So he knew it was a joke immediately. You know what? (laughs) I'm not really so, I'm not really- (laughs) Well, either way, if it's real or not, I'm terrified, so I'll laugh. Okay, you know what? Um, We're actually recording. This is our first podcast that we're recording via Zoom. Zach isn't in the room with us. So um, if you could see the video of him just laughing hysterically, because he knows me a little too well, like we don't have three million, although I'm a little bit angry that you think that we might not. So you know what? But we're putting it out there. We're manifesting it. Yeah. we will, Zach, and That's then people goal. will listen okay. to this. Yeah, you know what? Shut up, Zach. But I forget it. Forget that I asked you to come on to this podcast. Anyway, okay. So I can't wait to talk to everybody. Okay. <laughs> Bryce, Bryce is going to be editing the hell out of this podcast this week. I think maybe. Get rid of all this friendly banter. I don't think. No, so. no, no. Well, just when I reached out to you initially, I was I wasn't even sure you'd know you'd be able to help us out. And then you told me you wrote a paper and I read your paper. And I also did some other research because I've been struggling with this personally. I can't to save my life, figure this out. I actually, um, I've read quite a bit. I attended a webinar and a panel that was discussing this and it's still, and I even had another economics professor, not you, a different one, try to explain to me and I still can't get my head around it. So I'm hoping that you can do that. And if you can, then perhaps I can write a letter of recommendation saying, hey, he explained cryptocurrency and Bitcoin to me and you'll get a job anywhere, I bet that, because that's what it'll take. 
to do. <laughs> I don't think Excellent. I don't think that has any factor whatsoever. <laughs> Before we talk about cryptocurrency, though, is I mean, everything that I was looking at sort of said we have to have an understanding of what blockchain is. Is that true? I mean, do we have to kind of know blockchain before we can really get into what cryptocurrency is? Yeah, honestly, that's really the innovation that we're talking about. Oh, we're talking okay. About, All right. Then, um, yes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, it's, blockchain. It's, and it gets sort of um, it gets sort of met lost in the conversation because, you know, Bitcoin is the first sort of mainstream cryptocurrency to sort of come out. There have been iterations in the past, for sure. Being a cryptocurrency, it was sort of like, this is what Bitcoin is, and this is what um, blockchain is, it's cryptocurrency. But when in fact, blockchain is a little bit more, city has a lot more potential. So what blockchain technology is, is really just these blocks of information. So think of them just as sort of cards with any piece of information on those note cards. And then additionally on the note card is a timestamp. And that timestamp is in an order, it's in a blockchain. So you can't remove or change any information on that block without disrupting the entire chain. So it provides this sort of uh, security and continuity to information sort of contained on the, the blockchain network. And so this is what is the innovation. Now that we have this, this technology, this ability to store information efficiently and in sort of a, a secure way, we, we start rendering obsolete a lot of different industries. And one of them being the financial industry. But you can see blockchain technology actually bleeding over into lots of other industries like the insurance industry. And, um, and recently it's been becoming more popular in this sort of art way with the, the NFTs, the non-fungible tokens that are becoming more popular. But, um, but honestly, the, the blockchain is really the root of the, the innovation that's happening right now. Okay, well, you know what? I wonder, should you mention, because I, I looked up NFTs as well, because I saw, I just saw, if you saw the, the little video, the YouTube video from like 2007 or 2008, the Charlie bit my finger. I don't know if you remember that one. Apparently yeah, yeah, exactly. that guy just sold it as an NFT for, I don't know how much, I couldn't right. find the amount. Yeah, how do I get in on this NFT hustle? <laughs> I'm an artist and if I can just slap like a digital NFT label on it and make you like, thousands or millions of dollars that would be beneficial it seems yeah like for sure I, I, mean, I don't really um, know the stuff behind it <laughs> yeah the nft stuff has become just exploded a lot because of the pandemic too and the uh the staying indoors mostly because i think a lot of it started initially popping out with sports and sports nfts um i got involved with it sort of like, like at the beginning of it so i have like all these basketball nfts that are connected to the nba and the NFT is really interesting and how it connects to blockchain and why it is interesting in this sort of sense is that, say you have the memorabilia market, right? Say you have trading cards that exist in the physical world. They have value only insofar as you and I can come to an agreement. Like I say it's worth, this Michael Jordan card is worth $25. You say it's worth 15, whatever. We'll negotiate over that thing. But the trading card company, the MBA, they never see any profits from that, that deal ever, right? It's in the, the uh, hands of the owner. But if you think about an NFT, every time the NFT is traded and sold on blockchain, the, actually, the MBA actually is able to keep a little bit of that fee, a little bit of a, a transaction fee off of that. So it's a way for, say, the NBA and any major sports league to be connected to all of the transactions that take place with its memorabilia. Not only that, but it also opens up 
possibilities for how you could use those NFTs to maybe purchase things within team stores or league stores. Like the flexibility is still really unknown because it's still raw. So they have this real, real raw potential on what these NFTs are, right? And then you have a, a sort of confusion on what the asset is in a financial set sense. And so you have um, a lot of regulatory people confused. Some, some people are being sued now because people are considering it a security rather than just a piece of memorabilia because it's connected to the success of the company. And so there's generally a lot of confusion around what the asset is, what an NFT really is and what it could be. Well, because when I think of, I mean, from what I've been reading, an NFT is not, it's not like the actual physical trading card, if you will. It would be whatever the electronic version is, or is that incorrect? No, it's precisely that. It's, oh, okay. uh, it's, so some, it's, it's something that's on my computer, my digital wallet, and my sort of uh, moments, they're called. So it's nothing more really than a YouTube clip that's sort of been trimmed down. It looks really beautiful. I mean, for how, how beautiful a basketball dunk can be, it's very beautiful. Um, and, but it's like, uh, they're serial numbered. So there are only 99 of these videos made. And that in itself is where you sort of um, estimate value and give it value. And that's where, you know, this NFT market is deriving any of its traditional economic market uh, characteristics. Okay, well, you, so you may not know this. I mean, I'm thinking of the, the instance of the guy selling his, the video of his son, you know, Charlie bit my finger. Um, I mean, people have probably downloaded this. So, I mean, he's selling it, but if I have it on my computer, I mean, what, what does that mean? I can share it with you, can't I? I mean, or how does that work? No? Yeah, I'm not sure how the intellectual property is going to go around with that because, yeah, that would be really problematic eventually because people are selling it, the rights to these videos. So then if you have the video or is YouTube going to have to pay that person for the video now? But it's not really the video that they're buying per se. They're buying the the non-fungible token that represents the video. It's one Sorry. step removed even from the video. If I'm being like uh, abstract or just um, just guessing, if one way to use it would be if you're a marketing firm in the future when these memes have become so ingrained in culture that we can't separate them from like Don Quixote or something actually important, <laughs> then those things will actually be uh, used to market products and market things. And then I'll remember, oh, Charlie bit my finger, Band-Aids. And those will be Band-Aids that we'll buy from that brand because they have the rights to that meme. And I think that's the way I can imagine them really growing and becoming like a portfolio, right? You could, and you're seeing that even happening with musicians who are, who are, you know, putting their music into NFTs and selling them to, to venture capitalists who are building these portfolios, who I can imagine will then work out deals with Spotify or Apple Music in the future for these rights. You know, it becomes all like you're saying, intellectual property in the end. And it's going to be about um, contracts and usage and so on in the future. Well, and I wonder too, if you're going to be able to, because I know in, you know, some other countries that don't value or don't care about intellectual property, this might be some way to safeguard that too, I would imagine. And so that's really, yeah, and that's a great point because for example, Ethiopia is an, a country that has started to engage blockchain entrepreneurs and startups. And specifically they signed a deal with the, the cryptocurrency creators called Cardano, it's a, it's a smaller cryptocurrency and you can see it being traded right now, but it's, um, it's heralded as like the most um, energy efficient cryptocurrency. And so it has a lot of um, sell along that dimension, but they've really worked a deal out with the Ethiopian government to start integrating it more in with their financial system. And I think 
to that point, I think it has so much more potential for developing countries and people in rural areas. Just generally, transaction costs are higher. And blockchain technology, specifically in the financial world, just reduces transaction costs sort of immensely. So it just gives, it just leverages a lot more power in rural areas um, and, you know, poorer areas and so on. So what we'll have to do, we'll have to have an episode where we promote Bryce's um, artwork and his art and get- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Got to get him on the Sotheby's auction. Yeah, (laughs) except I don't want it to be too popular though, Bryce, because I don't want you to like leave the podcast because you've sold- If my art just becomes more popular, (laughs) sponsor Data Doyen. Perfect, and you can pay me. There you go. I said, Paul, you should just buy, you should buy the rights to the NFT and then just demand everything from Bryce because you own the rights to it. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Using your powers for evil, not necessarily good. That's I don't really awesome. understand what's going on yet, but I didn't sign up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, what I need to do is sell some of, get, buy some of Bryce's NFTs, then buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how to make an NFT. <laughs> I mean, the way I understand it, and I didn't want to derail the discussion of cryptocurrency, but to bring it back to NFTs, it's like, to, to me as an artist, it almost seems like it's like, it's so futuristic that it's like going backwards because as an artist, it's mostly like streaming is what people do. Like people don't buy CDs, you know, they don't buy the actual art. They just look at it online. They don't own it or have it for themselves. And it seems like NFTs is a way of giving that power back to artists where like, someone can literally own the file of this digital piece of art or like literally own the MP3 of a song. Like you buy the song and then nobody else can buy that particular NFT song or video. Is that kind of how it works? Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and you probably know more than me, but there are just so many more barriers to entry for artists when they have to either want to, they, either they want to go to a venue or they want to go to a gallery. Like there are so many fees and people that you have to know and network with in order just to get your stuff seen and heard. And you're totally right. I think just like the way it's sort of knocking down walls for people to participate in financial systems, NFTs are a way for knocking down walls for artists to participate in a broader market. Um, that they know exists, but they can't participate in. Okay, well, now you mentioned, because a lot of the things that I'm reading, now we can kind of segue into then the actual cryptocurrency. And some of the things that I was reading, I like, I'm trying to get my head around how it's different from banking and how it's different from stocks. And in my mind, I'm thinking, is it kind of in between or something or not even close at all? Because when I think money, that's where I initially go. Like, okay, I can go to my bank now, to speak to, to speaking about Africa, you know, certainly when we send money to Africa, we either have to go to the bank, fill out all that paperwork that is ridiculous to get a transfer, or I go to Western Union. Either way, there are fees, and I'm paying money to send money, which seems kind of ridiculous. Um, so this seems to be smoother, quicker, cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but what exactly is cryptocurrency, like in the context of what we were talking about with blockchain? and so on, or or how would you define cryptocurrency? Yeah, it's cryptocurrency is sort of what you would imagine or how it's being described in the media generally. It's a digital currency that, you know, derives value from people on the network using it. So you all have to be on the same network to use the currency. And that's how it's done, basically. But the, the, so the problem with currency generally transacting between people is that you need a middle person a third party to validate your transactions. 
as a human race or as like a society, we used banks and these third parties to validate our transactions. But with the cryptocurrency, you don't need that centralized authority any longer to validate transactions because you now use people on the network to, to validate the transactions. And so how you do that is that you have to incentivize people to compute these sort of large math problems that upon solving them uh, validates the transaction. So you have this, uh, these people working on these computers solving these large complicated math problems that then are at the same time time stamping all of these blocks. So now, at the, so they're actually validating each transaction being done on the Bitcoin network. And so they're incentivized to do that because they get, they are put into a lottery and then they win Bitcoins by mining Bitcoins. And so with this incentivized process, you don't need a bank any longer to pay a third, to pay them like more fees to validate these transactions. And this terrifies everybody. This terrifies central banks. This terrifies credit card companies. I mean, this renders Visa and MasterCard basically obsolete. And so they immediately started becoming afraid of this. And so there was a larger sort of, I think, push against what um, cryptocurrency is. Um, mostly because, and so, and what I mean by that is that it, it generally got a negative, uh, ne negative attention through how it was being used on the dark web and used for sort of um, inappropriate transactions, if you will. So more seedier things like drugs and guns. And so people associated this sort of dark, these dark places with this cryptocurrency. And so unfortunately, and, and fortunately in the last five or six years, since I've written that paper that you've read, it's become much more popular. People are much more receptive to the capabilities of cryptocurrency, let alone what blockchain can do. And so now Bitcoin is being discussed as like another uh, fixed income asset along with gold and, and other commodities, which is really strange. I mean, I, I wrote that paper just as it's kind of like a, this is a, a new idea that I'm wrestling with. And now it's being seriously discussed by Janet Yellen and the, the Fed chair Powell as like a, a problem we have to really get in touch with. Well, one of the things I always but, find interesting, and, and you saw this with COVID in a number of different areas, the, the fear these companies have when there's a threat to what they've done forever. Instead of thinking instead, instead of saying, wow, okay, is there an opportunity here? It's immediately, okay, we must stop this or let's make people think it's used only for guns and drugs or prostitution or whatever it's been used for. Um, I, that this to me seems like it'd be an opportunity. I do have, I did have a couple of data points because this is a podcast about data. So I thought I'd try and get some as of, cause I was trying to find uh, Bitcoin is the one we'll talk about Bitcoin, but there's also Ethereum. And there are also apparently as of April, 2021, over 10,000 different types of crypto. And that's according to SoFi.com. And they're either coins or tokens. Um, but apparently, and this is something else, there are only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. It's not something that's, you know, like, oh, we'll just keep making money. I mean, it's, there's a limit. And I don't know where we are now in terms of how many have been sold. I mean, they haven't all been sold, have they? Or would they have been? Well, they've recently gone through another halving. So the way the, the supply of Bitcoin, Bitcoin works is that after, I think it's every five years, the number of Bitcoin halves in the market. So there's half as many left as there were five years before. And this halving continues to take place until there will all, all Bitcoin will be mined uh, conceivably. Um, but at the same time, 
you can spend one one millionth of a Bitcoin on something. So you can break up a Bitcoin into these very, very sort of infinitesimal parts, which makes it much more interesting on the internet. For example, like you can't spend less than $3 on the internet because of transaction fees, right? But with right. a Bitcoin, okay. you can spend a penny on the internet, which is, so you can almost think about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin as the cash of the internet. You don't have to worry about fees. It's something that can be transported back and forth between wallets in a really cool way. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I um, attended a, a webinar about, or it was a panel webinar about uh, cryptocurrency and it was led by women. Cause it's like, okay, trying to get more women to invest because generally speaking, women aren't as, are more risk averse than, than men are when it comes to investing. And they shared an app called Fold and apparently you can spin the wheel on fold and you can get, you know, Bitcoin. I've got like 0. 0.00, I forget what, it's worth $1.82, I think is what I checked this morning. So I've got $1.82 in Bitcoin. Um, so I'm, I won't spend it all in one place. I mean, I'm going to hang on to that. But <laughs> is, is, is it true? Now, I was looking this up to see if I wanted to buy Bitcoin now, is it $38,000 for a Bitcoin or nearly? Yeah, for one Bitcoin, it's, uh, it's $38,000 in um yeah, it's crazy. It's it's definitely exploded, and you'll see Ethereum itself will will eventually be up to about twenty thousand dollars in say three to five years. Yeah, I was so gonna say because I think Ethereum was about two thousand something, if memory serves. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, and so these are. I mean, this isn't. That's not really speculation. That's just a matter of sort of network economics. Like there are just so many nodes available on the Ethereum network that it can't help but be valued at this price, come this length of time. And so, um, but you're right, there are like 10, there's so many different types of tokens being put on the market, but there's, uh, to be uh, fair, they're not all currencies either. So for example, you have Dogecoin or Bitcoin, um, which are cryptocurrencies. Ethereum is actually a blockchain technology. And so it's a different blockchain network than the Bitcoin network. And on that network, the cryptocurrency is Ether. Not, it's, so it's a different sort of place altogether. So when you're investing in Ethereum, you're investing in sort of a broader technology, a broader asset than say, say Bitcoin. And then there are other currencies, quote unquote, that are um, not currencies at all, but instead are ways for you to invest in computing power or, or cloud computing, for example. So companies are now creating ways for you to invest in them so that they can take uh, processing powers off blockchain to process them faster. And so what you would do as a speculator is pay to, to rent space in this sort of processing cloud while um, Ethereum is you know, getting so many transactions and so many people are participating on the network. The more that this cloud gets bigger, it allows for people to get off the network and process these transactions faster and then get back on. So in that sense, you're not actually investing in an, a currency, you're investing in a, a different type of asset altogether. And so this is like really important to know as a speculator, right? I mean, we all got really enamored with the GameStop trade. Mm -hmm. And I think Reddit and the GameStop world has really sort of begin to began to eat the cryptocurrency stuff and sort of cannibalize that way of thinking because this strategy of um of really investing heavily in cryptocurrency to get the price to drive up and then pulling out of the cryptocurrency and then going into another one this is what they call pump and dump strategy um 
is is really effective only if you can get so many people to work with you, one. But two, it really is sort of a fundamental misunderstanding of what the asset is. And so it's not necessarily that these things are all cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. They're just um, using the currency model in the abstract to create ways for people to be incentivized to help them on their projects. And so these are people who are building sort of more elaborate, more elegant ways of using the internet, using information mm -hmm. that um, the cryptocurrency model is helping uh, make, make possible, if that makes sense. It, well, it's interesting. It's like buyer beware very much, I guess. Can you just buy, can you buy part of a Bitcoin? Like, I mean, I don't have $38,000. I know you probably think it's in my barn at home. It's not. Um, <laughs> can you buy a part of a Bitcoin? Like, can I just go buy like $10 in bit, whatever that would be? Or I mean, how does, can you do that? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. The, the ability to use things like uh, Coinbase is a online marketplace that you can go and look at all types of cryptocurrencies and invest. You can invest as little as $10. So you can get fractions of these cryptocurrencies, you know, uh, you know, and in, to be fair, you can also invest in things like Dogecoin, which is only worth 30 cents right now. And so you could buy a lot for $10, if you will. The, and so there are whole ideas that you can, you can participate in this with as little money as you have, with any money that you have. That's the, the beauty of cryptocurrency is that you can transform it just so easily into the crypto world and then um, hopefully use it in this broader crypto economy. I was going to ask that next. So, I mean, when we go to Uganda next, I mean, I don't know if they're using Bitcoin. I mean, how did, can I use it with someone who's not using it? Like, okay, can I go over there and say, can I pay in Bitcoin? And then they take, I mean, how does that work? Yeah, you really have to have the, 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 uh, the end user has to be wanting to, the wanting the Bitcoin. I mean, they're only something like for, for example, I know this off the top of my head, but with Dogecoin, there are only like 1500 people, vendors in the world that take Dogecoin. Oh, okay. And so that's sort of a limitation to the investment that you, you might not, but then, then again, you know, if it becomes popular, then why wouldn't more people take it up? So I think it's sort of a bad argument not to invest, but with Bitcoin, Bitcoin has done a, a really good job of increasing the number of vendors who will accept it. So Tesla being the biggest example of a broader company taking on Bitcoin to buy Tesla cars. Elon Musk recently backed out of that, though, um, for all sorts of reasons, which I think are very interesting. But he we'll uh, talk about those in a second. <laughs> but I think uh, but, be, but his first mover step and others like him have now gotten more people and more big companies interested in, in Bitcoin and accepting it and at least having some of their assets stored as Bitcoin. Well, it's interesting because part of that panel I mentioned before, too, um, there's another company, Lolly, and I might be mispronouncing it. It's L-O-L-L-I. Um, they have like a list. It's sort of like when you go to Amazon and you can kind of direct, you know, if you purchase from this company, so much of the money will go to a charity or whatever. I guess it's the same kind of thing. If I buy from certain companies, I'll get pieces of Bitcoin. I mean, I'm never going to get one Bitcoin, oh, but I'll wow. get some Bitcoin. And but part of me is I, I'm still kind of afraid to do that. I'm afraid to, even though it seems really foolish, like I buy from these companies that they participate with. So I'll have to figure that out. I mean, if I'm going to purchase yeah. anyway, I may as well get some Bitcoin and up my, you know, get more than a buck 82 in my account. So. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the regulation is coming. If, if the fear is that people are going to take the Bitcoin somehow or their security issue, I think regulation is around the corner in some ways, but um but yeah, it's the, I think it's the future. So I think there's no getting around it anymore. 
Well, and something else that I thought was interesting in some of my reading as well is that you have to remember whatever your password and so on, because if you lose that, all of your oh. Bitcoin's gone. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a sad story for lots of early Bitcoin miners and users that they can't remember those giant hashes that they had for their, for holding their Bitcoin because the, the, that was back in the day when they didn't have the proper networks to hold it and stuff. And these people are also, um, you know, deeper programmers, people more involved in the internet. So, um, in the early internet, so that's how they were. So nowadays you can just go onto these online marketplaces and it's really simple. It's honestly a lot like E-Trade in the way that it's set up and in the way that it, you can interact with it as a consumer. There's a fear like uh, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury just mentioned a few, I think last week that they wanted to start cracking down more heavily on cryptocurrency transactions and that it's a detriment to investors, um, which is interesting that they start saying that now given how much money has just been pumped into the cryptocurrency market. So I think the timing aligning is a little bit funny, but that's just me. Um, it could be. I also just looked up too, because I was interested in if there was a list of people who are some of the bigger investors. And I found the top four investors in, this is specifically in Bitcoin, um, because it's the largest uh, blockchain, blockchain-based digital asset. Um, market capitalization as of June, 2020 is 173.5 billion. And who owns the most? Do you know who owns the most? Do you want to guess, Zach, or no? Because I have the top four. I think, is it one of them? One of them's got to be the Winklevoss brothers, right? Oh, yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Cameron and Tyler are, they're believed to be the first Bitcoin billionaires. They hold about 100,000 coins <laughs> together. And then you've got Dan Moorhead, who launched the first cryptocurrency fund in the U.S. Um, he's the CEO and chief investment officer of Pantera Capital. You've got Michael Novogratz, who's um, the founder, CEO, and chair of Galaxy Digital Holdings, and then Barry Silbert, who's the founder of Digital Currency Group, yeah. who are the top four. Yeah, the Winklevoss brother. What the heck? Like, how did they get in there? Not that we know this necessarily. Yeah, these guys are all the biggest. Uh, e so the so the cryptocurrency ETFs. Do you know if you know the ETF market and these. Um... You can probably safely assume, Zach, no, I'm not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are these ETFs. I'm going to, I don't want to botch the acronym. An, an exchange traded fund, okay. which are these uh, small portfolios that fund managers put together for us to invest in with less risk. So you have these, some people will do it with like a whole portfolio of say um, environmentally friendly companies or mm. Uh, electric cars and they put them in a bundle and you invest in the bundle. And so a big win for the cryptocurrency market or for the, for that becoming more mainstream is when the Winklevoss brothers and um, a few other people were adamant that they should start creating cryptocurrency ETFs for people to invest in ETF. I mean, to invest in cryptocurrency, but with less risk. And so now you have these existing, I think another big one is I've heard of uh, galaxy, but, Grayscale um, Trust mm -hmm. is another really big ETF, and they are um, now suffering sort of horribly given the down of the cryptocurrency recently. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how they how they do. <laughs> well, I'm also interested too because when I first heard, you know, now I don't generally follow. I don't really care what Elon Musk does, to be truthful with you, but I do kind of pay attention a little bit. Like, okay, what is he saying or whatever? Because he's just an interesting fellow, um, but 
when he was initially on board, I thought, okay, that's cool. Good for Elon. And then he backed out because of environmental issues. And I thought, well, this is all online. I'm not understanding what are the environmental issues exactly. And apparently this, Mm -hmm. to do this requires a great deal of energy. Yeah, there's two ways in which you can uh, mine for tokens on a blockchain network. And so right, right now there's a debate as to what is most energy efficient. So there's the, the model that Bitcoin uses is called the proof of work model, which is what I was saying earlier about these computers solving these complex math problems to get access to Bitcoin. Um, in, this, in this environment, the person who solves the, the math problem the fastest wins the most chances to get Bitcoin. And so it incentivizes people to use a lot of power to get that, to, to better their odds to get more Bitcoin. And so then everybody is going from, uh, say, New York to Wyoming, Wyoming to China. So anywhere where there's cheap electricity, because, you know, they want to start paying less energy to get these to, to reduce their mining costs. And so that's a problem with Bitcoin generally. It's sort of strange that Elon Musk pointed that out, given that it's going to be a net positive on energy in the future. One, two, the energy consumption at the transaction level is minimal. And that's all Tesla was trying to do with Bitcoin in the end. What actually, I've read a couple of things. And I think one thing I'd read that he, there are some people who are invested in Tesla who have environmental concerns. And when they'd heard, when people had heard that Tesla was going to start accepting Bitcoin, there were a lot of people running to uh, Wyoming, Montana, to start and starting to transform these coal facilities into Bitcoin mining operations. But the, they weren't going to use coal to fuel these facilities. They were just transforming these facilities into these mining places. And so that got a little bit convoluted in one sense. And then you, uh, you just had a, a general crackdown of cryptocurrency in China as well, which is also sort of this has just happened in the last two weeks, which has also made mining really inefficient in China, which is where energy is the cheapest. And that's also affected sort of the price and um, usage and fear and, and fuel the fear around cryptocurrency. And so in that happening, Elon Musk is now, you know, uh, pushing this Dogecoin and saying that's going to be, um, and sort of hinting at that being a, a more energy efficient coin than Bitcoin. To be fair, honestly, I think it doesn't matter. I, I think, I don't think that's his motivation. He can't care about the, he, he can't care about that so much. It, I think it was just sort of a misunderstanding of what was gonna happen when you started to do that. And then there was like a, a general fear to stop it really quickly. Um, but I can, I can imagine that that'll start up again soon. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on that because I know it's been in the news fairly recently and I hadn't heard anything about it prior to, you know, him kind of bowing out. So those were the questions I had, Zach. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say or Bryce, if you have questions or anything you want to ask. Um, I think I don't have enough information to ask more questions. So I think I've got a good introduction from this, this interview of uh, knowing what's going on a little bit. So thank you. Zach, do you, am I allowed, you don't have to answer this question, but do you, do you have Bitcoin or have you invested in cryptocurrency? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I've all, I've also, I mean, I guess maybe I should disclose that. Do I have disclose that as a person? But yeah, I mean. No, no. Yeah. I mean, cause I don't think your investing is any of anybody's business. So if you didn't want to answer, like I oh, said, no, I'd, I've I'd love to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, so I'm I've, on fire, uh, I've, I've been investing in it since that paper. And so, I mean, I foolishly was 
I had two Bitcoin back in the day. And then, it, um, I mean, I've been living, I've been trading them and living off them for a little while because it was easy. But then um, wish I'd, I kind of wish I had held them now. But I instead, you know, I've gone through investing in Ether and see sort of smaller other coins. And I hold some Dogecoin because I think that has potential. But there's also, I mean, what's also really interesting about crypto, if I can just say one more thing, is that um, it's, it's not just about currency and we're talking about, what, what, what we're talking about generally is information. And information is what's lucrative here and what is what we're talking about in terms of security and efficiency and whatever. And so when we're talking about information, then we're talking a little bit more about the, the internet as a whole. And so I, I see the internet and so there's these cryptocurrencies, for example, one called, it sounds kind of funny, but it's called internet computer. And it, it is a, a blockchain that is focused on decentralized internet totally. So it would sort of render things like Google and Amazon obsolete because it wouldn't necessarily need the computing power from these sort of broader monopolies. And so there's something about the, the change in how we're valuing and thinking about information that's really at work and at heart going on here. Um, and so we talk about coins, we talk about making money, but really we're, I mean, in, in economics, we really are concerned about information. We're concerned about signals and what we're saying to each other and what they mean and how we, how we protect it. And so, uh, yeah, that's what really is sort of at work, I think, and beneath all of this stuff. And actually, I said I had no more questions, but you just made me think of a really good one, too. So much of what I read, too, is that this technology is so incredibly safe from a security perspective. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what, how yeah. is it safer than, like, me going to my bank or Western Union or what have you? Like, what, how... So the, the, the fear of hacking the blockchain network is only a fear if, if someone can control 51% of the market. And so if you can control 51% of the blockchain, you can start manipulating the blockchain. Um, and that can be really problematic, especially if you have quote unquote criminal intentions, which is the language I find in all of the online articles. You could just be a nice person and start arranging them nicely. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> the... Uh, the 51% thing is really hard to maintain from just an energy perspective. Um, to get 51% of the block, the Bitcoin network would be really hard, um, for example. So that is one way in which the proof of work system um, gets rid of that problem. But there's another way in which um, people could hack the system in another form. Um, and if they were to do that, they would freeze your sort of uh, well, I didn't explain any of that other part, but there's like a, another way in which you can mine for these Bitcoin where you're just the person with the most amount of tokens on that network um, puts them in sort of what they call an escrow account. And that in, in, in escrow, it, it's held. And the larger volume that you have held, it, that's what um, increases your lottery to win more tokens. And so in that situation, if you try to take over 51% of the network, whatever assets you had held in escrow would just be taken from you from the broader network. So there are ways that it would fail safe, um, people breaking into these works. Um, still though, you have the, like the, the recent oil pipe incident where the, the hackers were able to get in there and, and really, if you're focused, you probably could figure out a hack if you really wanted to, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think it would take a lot of energy. <laughs>
I was gonna say, I feel like there are enough safeguards. In, I mean, I'm sure people are trying. Like, I can't believe there aren't people sure. that are trying to figure this out. But I have to believe the way it sounds that there are enough safeguards. But at the same time, I don't think we can ever say that anything is 100% safe. So it's very much, you know, keep an eye on your stuff, Definitely I not. guess. You can go have a bank run, right? There, there's everyone's, I mean, while, we're, while it's unlikely, a bank run could exist where we all run to the bank and take all our money out really fast. I mean, yes. you could be left without taking it. Yes. Okay. That's it. Very good. Well, that's, I'm so glad we had this conversation. I actually do feel like I will say this to you in all seriousness. I do understand it a lot more. So thank you for allowing me to yeah, understand that's this. Good to hear. I, 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 that's no joke. Um, Cause you know, I tell you if I didn't, um, <laughs> I think I'm going to need to really take a look now because I'm thinking I might need to start investing in, you know, I'll take my $10 that I've got and I'll go, get myself some Dogecoin or something. Who knows? I'll have to take a look at it. But we are not, as a wow. note on Data Doyen, we are not recommending a Bitcoin or a Dogecoin. I mean, certainly do your own research. Yeah, we, we, are just, not, we just learned this stuff today. We're we not just, advising any investments. We are not financial <laughs> advisors. Not. And we are not being sponsored. Now, if Bitcoin wants to sponsor me, I don't even know who that would be. They don't have an offer. I mean, you know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, certainly reach out. There you go. Okay. That said, all right. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to my producer, Bryce. Murphy, who also wrote and recorded the show Music. Thank you to our very special guest, Dr. Zachary Rodriguez. Um, the logo designed by Leah McGurl. For more information and to access the data discussed on this week's episode, visit datadoyen.com. Also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. All of the links are on the website. Any information uh, and additional materials that we discussed in this week's podcast will be on the blog this week, datadoyen.com. If you like this podcast, tell all of your nerdy friends, have them tune in. Podcasts drop on Thursdays. All materials are available on the website by Tuesday of the same week. This podcast is a production of Ratchet Boy Records. Listen to Ratchet Salon on all streaming platforms everywhere you find music. This podcast is sponsored by Wild Mountain Botanicals, Tippy Homestead, the Sparkworks Studio, Dog Nanny Originals, and Embrace It Africa. To sponsor, send me a message on the website. Thank you. Okay, and that's it, Zach. Excellent. Wow. That was fun. Thank you for joining. That was awesome. <laughs>